is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast. When your host Dan here, alongside Nick, and because the club still is up for sale, that means. <laughs> More frequent updates from one of your favorites, Mr. Matt Law of The Telegraph, coming in from the canteen to give <laughs> us uh, a little bit of information from between. It's almost like uh, Zach Galifianakis is between two ferns. He's between two shrubs right now <laughs> yeah. as he is carrying this message to us. That's right. I, um, I've come into my office because it's not too far from Stamford Bridge, where I'm obviously heading off for the Real Madrid game later. And uh, yeah, this is our canteen. It, it looks like I'm surrounded in a garden. I'm not. It's just a plant, a plant behind me. But I won't scroll around because the other people in the canteen may not want to appear on the video. <laughs> that is completely fair, and we understand. Uh, and if you didn't catch it, we are recording this episode prior to kickoff against uh, at the match Chelsea versus Real Madrid. Uh, Nick, and uh, we've got a lot to get into today. We sure do. Uh, so, so we should just do it. I, I'm. <laughs> I'm really uh, interested, Matt. Of course, as we head towards the the final deadline of April 11th, you know, we we talked about this last week that you know it's kind of the deadline set for all the remaining four parties to submit their final bids. Um, what don't we have clarity about at this point? I mean, I, I feel like there's been an incredible amount of recording done by yourself and by others like Nazar Kinsla and 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 the like, but. Uh, what are you still curious about as it pertains to the bids and kind of their current status? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's probably easier to go through the bids rather than just say generally, because it, it, it will be it's different things for different bids, I think, that people would like a bit more sure. clarity on. Um, so we may as well start with the Ricketts bid because it's been the most talked about bid now for the past fortnight because of the controversy around it. Um we now know that uh, Dan Gilbert is part of that bid, and we obviously know that Ken Griffin is part of that bid. Ken Griffin has been in London this week, uh, where he met with the Ricketts, also potentially was part of that meeting that the Ricketts held on Tuesday with the club. Um, and that's thrown up some interesting questions, because it's become clear over the past week that were the Ricketts to win, they won't actually be the major shareholders, even if they do take up the running of the club, which they would. If they win, they will be in charge of the club but they won't be the major shareholders. We think that would be um, Ken Griffin. So that throws up some questions, therefore, in terms of how does that shareholding shake down? Who, who would take what percentages? Who, what would Ken Griffin's exact involvement be as major shareholder? Who would be chairman? We, we presume that would probably be Tom Ricketts. Um, but just because that, that bid is slightly slightly changed i feel i mean they're calling it now the ricketts family investment group as well rather than just the ricketts family it, it's kind of evolved and changed probably partly out of through necessity um and that leaves just some question marks as to who just how does that ownership shake down all of a sudden so i think that's probably now the biggest question there's obviously there's still the questions on the inclusivity and diversity that they need to convince people on uh, but we already knew about that and that is ongoing um I then think if we move to the Sir Martin Broughton bid, the issues around his bid are probably very similar to what I've just talked about, in that he still hasn't confirmed anything. Um, we, we pretty much know that, that Josh Harris and David Blitzer are behind it and are the money behind it. Um, but he's not confirmed that. He's not identified any of the investors. Um, 
he's, it's now getting on for three weeks since he'd be says, said he'd be transparent about the bid. And quite frankly, there's been no transparency around the bid whatsoever. Um, and it's very hard to judge it. So I think there's a lot of questions for, for them to answer. Uh, moving on to the Todd Bowley bid. Todd Bowley is now in London, I believe. Um, he will be having his meeting with Chelsea, I think, on Thursday. Um, and uh, it seems that his group, I don't know whether him personally, are meeting with Paul Cannaville as well on Friday. Um, obviously, the Ricketts have already met Paul Cannaville, and that became a big controversy in itself. Um, I think around the Todd Bowley bid, there are less less questions and issues, but I think we still haven't seen their pledges. I mean, we've seen from the Ricketts family their list of eight pledges, which they had to make public in a way because they were directly responding to a challenge from the Chelsea Supporters Trust. Um, but now we'd like to see that from all the bids. And we've heard a lot about the Bowley bid in terms of some behind-the-scenes stuff, and I believe they have offered uh, supporters the fact that they would probably create a shadow board, golden share, uh, waive the CPO loan. But they haven't actually said that publicly, and they haven't confirmed it, and they haven't confirmed it to me even. So I I would like to see some of that confirmed. It would be nice to see their, their pledges out in the open. Um, and then Pal Yuka's got everything to confirm. I mean, the amount of questions around Pal Yuka is unbelievable. I could <laughs> not believe when the trust put out the statement uh, this week confirming that he hadn't even reached out to them. I mean, what what's he thinking? How How's a serious bidder? not reaching out to the Chelsea Supporters Trust at the moment. Um, it makes you wonder how serious he is, quite frankly. I'll probably end up with egg on my face and I'll end up getting the whole thing now. But it, his, <laughs> his bid is just the most bizarre. From the outside, it's the most bizarre bid because it doesn't seem to stack up. He doesn't seem to be sort of doing what's necessary to actually give himself a proper chance of becoming the preferred buyer. So he's got he's got all the questions to answer, all the questions to answer. A, a quick follow, Matt. I mean, last week we did a uh, aptly named episode called "The Final Four, where uh, we we did an NCAA tournament style, um, but not quite for the legal eagles listening to this uh, podcast kind of tournament or bracket for the four remaining bids, and we advanced the Ricketts and Bully into the final two. Do you get that that is the sense as of today that they are the probably the favorites at this point? Well, I don't. Look, I don't know because Rainer being very secretive about this, but I, I don't actually think the amount of bidders will cut down again after the next deadline unless someone drops out, um, which I'd be surprised about, even with Paliuka, because I'm assuming they've all spent quite a lot of money just getting this far with the sure. legal and whatnot, drawing everything up and submitting paperwork. So I think it will still be the four in the bidding as such. In terms of who the realistic sort of favourites are, I would personally still probably place the Bowley bid as slight favourites. Um, I, th I still think as well that the, the Samaritan Broughton bid, despite all the efforts of them this week, and I do think the Ricketts have actually clawed back a bit of ground and they're probably making it into slightly more of a three-way race than maybe this week I anticipated. I still think they're playing slight catch-up, albeit they could easily offer the most money in this whole process. But as we know, I don't think that necessarily guarantees anything. But I think the Ricketts have got themselves back into contention, but I still see the Bowley and the, the Broughton-led bids as being slightly ahead of them at this stage. So if we kind of maybe dig into some of the specifics, you mentioned the Ricketts, you mentioned a little bit of clawback from a public PR campaign, which 
Apparently, we were told that Rain said don't do it, but they, I think, maybe were forced into a situation where they had to do it to save their bid. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just jump in on that, if I may, because I've seen a lot of this, and I think it's worth addressing. You're right. Rain had made it clear to all we don't want the public bidding process. I think the Ricketts, rightly or wrongly, will get some leniency on this because they've been publicly challenged. You know, they've had supporter groups publicly challenging them to prove things and say things to them. If they hadn't have said anything, quite frankly, their bid was dead. Their bid was dead in the water. So even if it's annoyed Rain slightly, it was worth them taking that gamble. And I actually think because the public challenge was there, it probably just about gets them off the hook on that score. Sorry so, to interrupt. No, no. So from your knowledge, I guess, as you're digging into this, how has it transformed, I mean, from the, the Ricketts bid backed by Ken Griffith to maybe Ken Griffith's bid that will be managed by the Ricketts family and this kind of inclusion of Dan Gilbert, uh, for those who don't know, owns Rock Capital, Rock Entertainment, and it's the Cleveland Cavaliers, amongst other sports in the U.S. Um, what was the... Like, how has this bit evolved from your understanding? Yeah, look, the, the Ken Griffin element, I don't think is massively involved. I mean, I remember when they first announced that Ken Griffin was with them when they announced they were going to bid. And everybody I spoke to said that, well, Griffin's the money behind that bid because the Ricketts family actually don't quite have the money to fund um, buying and investing into Chelsea alongside running the Chicago Cubs. So once Griffin was confirmed on their bed, it always seemed pretty likely that he would be the money. Now, what wasn't clear a while ago was whether he would be the major shareholder and what percentage of share he would take. And it now is becoming more and more clear that he would be the major shareholder and he would take a big share. And therefore, Chelsea would see a benefit from a large amount of his money, shall we say, rather than just a small amount of his money. So that is significant. I mean, that is that does change their bid. And that does put serious money behind that bid. Dan Gilbert, of course, puts serious money behind He's another guy who's worth like 20 billion. Um, and when that news came out, I'm, I'm losing track of days and all this, but when that news came out, I think over the weekend, Dan Gilbert was going to uh, become part of that bid. People around the whole process did think that was significant because he is... He is a reputable guy in terms of the way he runs his businesses. He has a good reputation in America, I think. I know his, his sports team aren't necessarily the most successful team, and I know there's been issues um, <laughs> with, with LeBron James and things like that. But um, I think gen, genuinely in terms of a guy and in terms of his image, he's quite clean. So I think that that was seen as significant. And it's also become clear, as I've reported, that they're still speaking to potential investors. I still think down the line, whether it be it, it now waits until maybe after the process is finished to see whether they've won it or not won it, or whether in the next week we see more investors on board. But it feels like they're trying to bring more money to this bid. Uh, they, they obviously released their eight-point plan um, last Sunday, I think. Um, yeah. Well, it, and you don't have to answer this if, if it's not a part of the reporting, but did, what did you make of that? Was it just simply a, a PR response in your mind? Well, it was, but it was necessary. They, I mean, they had to do it. As I said to you before, if they didn't do that, their bid was dead. You know, there's no getting around it. Their bid was going nowhere at that stage. So they, they, they had to address the challenge that had been set out to them. And they had to put something in black and white for people to see. Now, I thought the eight-point pledge was light on detail, but I think probably any of the bidders, if they put out pledges, will be quite light on detail because putting putting in 
a lot of detail onto black and white onto pledges is a risky business let's face it for any bidder because you know you, you sometimes find you can't keep these promises let's face it um so i thought it was light on detail i didn't think it offered a lot of guarantees so if i was a chelsea fan i wouldn't be hanging my hat on much of it however what i would say is i did think it was it addressed some issues i did think it I, I thought it was okay i thought it was fine i thought it it did sort of as much as it could do in that it probably made people stop and think a little bit amid the criticism didn't give them any guarantees but possibly wrestled a little bit of ground back it's hard to do much else i mean i the only thing i was surprised about is that they didn't put in black and white anything about golden shares shadow boards the chelsea pitch owners loan i would have thought those would have been kind of as, as we say in the industry maybe free passes to put in that would win a lot of public favor and wouldn't be too hard to stick to but they didn't put those in all right it's editor jake dan and nick got a little too wrapped up in the beautiful drama matt law is bringing us on this ownership business and they forgot the ad break so it's me um middle of the madrid game by the way 2-1 halftime wow benzema is good isn't he guys I hate it. Anyways, you're hearing this after the game, so you know what happened for the rest of the match. Hopefully good things. So let's get back to it. Well, we, we got to get to the ads. Then we'll get back to it. All right. All right. Enough for me. So, Matt, that leads me kind of into a follow-up and just how much of this is being generated through maybe a response to the fact that, in general, the trust surveyed supporters and 77% or 72%, depending on the question, didn't feel comfortable with the bid, maybe because, to your point, some of the things like a golden share, CPO debt forgiveness has not been mentioned. And is there any sense that that might come from this bid? Well, I do. Look, first of all, their eight-point pledge was very much as a as a response of the the last uh, trust statement, and I do think if because it, it feels I don't know this. I've got to be clear. I don't know this. Um, it feels like there will be another trust statement at some point on the Ricketts bid because it feels like they're constantly assessing where people stand on the Ricketts bid because of how controversial it's been, and, and because they've been over this week, I think they've gone home today. Um, I think I would expect in the next week or so the CST to put out some sort of new statement on where their members feel the rickets are, whether opinion has improved towards them or whether opinion hasn't changed or what. If opinion hasn't changed on them in terms of the trust, where the trust lie in terms of um, sort of taking opinion from their members, if it hasn't changed, if none of this has changed, I think they've got an absolute mountain to climb. They, they, they've, they need this sort of last five days to have wrestled something back for them on that score. And I also believe, and again, this is an assumption on my part, that when Chelsea come to assess that who the preferred bidder is, if they have documentation from the trust saying we still have 70% of our members do not feel that this is a viable or inclusive bid, I don't see how they could put it forward. I don't... I know that sometimes fans don't get the say they want and fans get ignored by boards and, and, and that's terrible. But I just can't imagine that they would ignore it to that extent if if they can't have been seen to have wrestled some opinion back with, with the fans. And then you also have the issue of would the government be uncomfortable about putting it through if they know that 
one of the biggest sort of fan organisations is is against the bid and saying this is bad for Chelsea. The government might not care, but on the other hand, the government are in a slightly awkward position in that they already know that they've pissed off a lot of Chelsea fans with the way they've treated Chelsea. But regardless of what they've done to Roman Abramovich in terms of the operating licence and the imposition they've put on Chelsea fans, they've already pissed off Chelsea fans quite a lot. Do they really want to put through a, an ownership that's just going to cause chaos? It, it might not be sort of within their remit as such, but I think they'd prefer to put through a bid that's not going to cause them a load of earache down the line. Yeah, it would, it would seem like a bid that they didn't hear from uh, the, the owner for a period of time would, would be preferable by all. Um, yeah, I, I think the, the last piece with uh, the, the next piece, I should say, with their bid is the uh, is the stadium redevelopment, which you broke news on uh, the other day. Um, and, and there are various approaches to stadium redevelopment from a full rebuild, which was, you know, kind of the, the process back in 2018 where you're five years away from the bridge, probably, you know, probably playing at Wembley and, you know, you, you rebuild through the train track and another point of egress and you build this big, beautiful stadium into the ground all the way now to, it seems like there is a growing consensus that a piece by piece or a stand by stand rebuild is, is maybe the preferred option because it will allow, you know, a, a lot of fans to go to matches at Stanford Bridge, even in the midst of construction. Is that what you're hearing about the the Ricketts bid? I know they put out a lengthy interview about their approach to the architecture uh, side of this. Yeah, I mean, three of the bids are pretty clear on this, to be honest with you. The, the mm-hmm. Ricketts bid have obviously done it very publicly. And the, the Bowley bid and the Broughton bid less publicly. But I know they've said it to supporter groups, is that the preference would be to rebuild stand by stand. Um some Chelsea fans got annoyed with this description, but it's just an easy way to describe it in the modern era, a bit like Liverpool are currently doing. That's, that's, you know, of the, of the big clubs recently, obviously Arsenal moved stadium, Tottenham moved stadium, Manchester City moved stadium. Manchester United might one day start doing it stand by stand, but at the moment Liverpool are doing it stand by stand. And I think uh, the three of the groups are seeing that as potentially the best way forward. The problem is, I mean, look, you, you guys know I cover a lot of Tottenham as well, although I don't any, at the moment because my life is taken over by this Chelsea takeover. <laughs> um, I haven't covered Tottenham barely at all in the last month. But um, um, I covered Tottenham extensively when they were at Wembley for just under two years. And it was horrendous. It was absolutely horrendous. And the fans found it horrendous. And it felt like nearly two years felt like 10 years. It was awful. Um and the thought of doing that for five to six years, I just don't think that's realistic. I think you would actually get a lot of Chelsea fans drift away from Chelsea for a period in terms of going to games. Tottenham fans had certainly got to that stage. There were Tottenham fans who had just stopped going to home matches because they couldn't be bothered with the hassle of getting to Wembley, of getting out of Wembley, playing, just watching their team away from their traditional home. It's... It's a slog. It's hard. It, it, this sounds stupid, but it's hard work. It's not pleasant. And you've got to think as well, Tottenham fans traditionally would live a bit closer to Wembley than Chelsea fans. You know, tra- traditionally, Chelsea fans would be living a long, a long trek from Wembley. So I just don't think asking a set of fans to go and watch their team at Wembley for five to six years. And I say five to six because I wrote five years and then someone got in contact with me and said, we think it would have been six years. Um I just don't think that's realistic. And also you've got to think this is a new owner coming in and saying would be saying to fans, 
it's not Roman Abramovich who would have had already at that point 10, 12, 13 years of goodwill in the bank to move Chelsea fans out to do something. This would be a new owner within two or three years of their ownership who wouldn't have built that trust and goodwill saying to a fan base, right, now we're moving you out. It would, in terms of their sort of opinion ratings within the fans, it could decimate them early in their reign. So it's far, look, in my opinion, it's far more sensible for a new ownership to come in and look at doing it stand by stand. And Liverpool have shown and lots of the American stadiums have shown that you can rebuild stadiums stand by stand and not actually have a reduced capacity at all. Um, I mean, the spacious issues around Stamford Bridge with the hotel and stuff that you might actually have to knock down to create the space to start building a stand behind a stand, which you can then eventually move into place. But a lot of stadiums these days are doing it without reducing capacity. And you guys might know better than me. It seems to be a big thing in America to do it stand by stand and, and keep everyone where they are. So, and of course, then you keep the heritage of the stadium. You might not have this sort of super, super stadium, as it were, that looks like a spaceship that's landed from, from out of space on the, on the sort of middle of Fulham High Road. But what, what you do have is a better version of a stadium that keeps the tradition and the heritage of what Stamford Bridge is about. If you're asking me for my club, what I would prefer for Aston Villa, I would say stand by stand every day. I, don't, I wouldn't want a new stadium for Aston Villa. I love, I love Villa Park. Right. And one of the things that has been brought up, especially as it pertains to the Ricketts, because they have touted their experience in redeveloping Wrigley Field, which is very much the, uh, you know, Wrigley Field is a is an American institution. It's a historical landmark now. Right. It is in the middle of a neighborhood. Very similar. Um, But the process in which the Wrigley Field uh, redevelopment is now kind of considered by fans is, is maybe not as positive as their, as their architect had, had put out. Um, both from a financial perspective and from, you know, I think a competitive perspective is, is this something that we should be worried about either stand by stand or, you know, just brand new stadium in, in terms of investment and how that affects the, you know, the playing staff at, at Stanford bridge. Well, in fairness to Chelsea, this seems to be what they're being very careful about within this week of process that we're currently in. It's been made very clear that when Chelsea meet the bidders this week, and they've already met the Ricketts, um, and when they meet all the other bidders, which which they're currently doing, um, this is going to be a huge a huge point for them, for these, these groups to absolutely convince them um, that they have the money to, to both redevelop Stamford Bridge and keep Chelsea at least at their current level, if not try and get them even better. Um, and they're, they're looking for proof of an extra 1 billion fund, as we talked about last time I was on the show, in terms of offering up that preferred bid. And they're also, they want to see statements and, and hear things about how they will run it side by side. So in fairness to Chelsea, I think there's only so much you can do because the problem is with any new owner, they can tell you whatever they want to tell you. And when they get the keys yeah. to the door, they can do something else. And that can go with owners who come in with the best intentions. But Chelsea are working very hard to try and ensure that when a new owner comes in, they will both redevelop Stamford Bridge and have the necessary funds and um, vision to to keep the squad operating at the very highest level. So maybe shifting gears then. So we can, I think we covered off that Rigots have 
met met the ownership, met Paul Canneville. They've had a chance to talk about things in the public. They've had a chance to readdress things. We might see, expect to see more statements. Uh, the bully camp, uh, stealthily moving underneath the surface, potentially. Uh, the duck on the pond, as it were. Uh, moving the legs underneath the water, but come on top. Um what is your sense of how they feel, where they might be, particularly as you, know, you also made a mention, which you didn't talk about last time, they also seem like they might be most likely to even like write off the CPO debt um, as a part of their bid. So how, you know, obviously they haven't made grand public statements, but what are they maybe starting to provide indications on what they might do or not do? Look, they're, they're not saying a lot publicly. Um and I know people think there's been a lot of PR around the, the Bowley bid, but in actual fact, Todd Bowley hasn't spoken once and certainly hasn't done any off-the-record briefings that I know about or anything like that. Um, there hasn't been a, as much PR around that bid as I think people think there has been. Um, but what I would say is all I know about that bid is they've had an awful lot of conversations with supporter groups and they've made... Um, I don't know whether promises is the right word, but they've talked about what they would like to do with supporter groups. And the supporter groups, again, are being very respectful of this process and aren't just publicising everything. But I do know that some of the supporters who have met with representatives of the Bowley bid are quite... Um, is excited the right word? Optimistic is probably the better word than excited. Optimistic about the way the Bowley bid are presenting themselves in terms of what are they they are saying they would want to do, i.e. write off the loan, i.e. golden share, i.e. shadow board, i.e. Um, the fact that they would have two basically supporters on a non-executive directorship on the board and, and Barbara Sharon and Daniel Finkelstein. And I think their discussions with supporter groups, from what I'm told, um, it are, have been going very well and are impressive. Um, I don't think they feel that they need to particularly do an awful lot in the public. They haven't been on the back foot. There's no need for them to take that risk. I think Broughton probably feels that way. I actually think when you ask me, do they, do the Bowley bid feel confident? I've got to be honest. I speak to people on all the bids, all of them, even Stephen Powell-Ukers, but they don't talk very much. But I do speak to people on all of the bids. And if you speak to people on all of the bids, they will all tell you they're confident. You know, they've got down to the final four. They all think they have the funds to do it. They all think they have great bids. They will all tell you they're confident. And it's hard to make a judgment where the confidence is, is best placed. Um, I, I think let's let's go to investors next. I mean, there obviously hasn't been as much news around this bid as, as I think uh, some of the others. But... Beyond Bully, Hansard Wies, and the backing of Clear Lake Capital, have you heard of any other additional investors in the Bully bid that could be, you know, uh, of note? Um, not at this stage. I, I don't. I might be wrong on this because this is a bit of a guess. This is an educated guess, shall we say? I don't see any coming on board at, at this stage. I mean, they they've made it clear already that they're actually overfunded. Clear Lake Capital gives them the capacity. Um, in terms of just the bid and, and assuring funds for banks to comfortably um, make assurances over, over what they can do and make offers that, that would be enough to buy the, the football club. So they don't need it at the moment. What I could potentially see happening, if, if they were to win, 
then I could see other individuals or investors maybe coming on board in, in, in that ownership. And to be honest, that's the case in a few of them. But what I have known about the Bowley bid from the start is that they've wanted to keep it as simple and clean as possible because there was always a realization from their perspective that this is a process where even with it going to the end of April or into May, and it might start to feel sometimes like it's dragging, it's actually for the, the sale of a top four football club incredibly quick in a way. And for the fact it's going so quick, for the fact it's got to go through government, for the fact that Chelsea have got to be so sure about every individual involved in the bid, a big part of their strategy was to keep it small, simple and clean um, to try and, you know, make it easy to show where the money was coming from, who's involved. You know, you can look into this guy, you can look into this guy. There's, no, there's nothing under the surface, if you like. There's nothing strange about the bid. So I would be surprised if they complicated that at this stage. And, and as I say, with, with Clear Lake and with the people involved, They've, they've always made it clear from the start they're, they're overfunded, let alone anything else. And just, you know, as you know, all of the individuals have started to get a little bit of additional attention, a little bit of scrutiny in terms of, you know, any type of red flags. You know, it doesn't seem like there's been much within this bid. I think there's obviously been maybe a little bit more about uh, vice and maybe some kind of, uh, you know, uh, settlement cases kind of with former employees that uh, have resulted or started to kind of make their way into conversation. Is that anything you've heard any more about um, in terms of any problems with the, the makeup of the bid or the, the background of the bid? Well, the strange thing we have with this Chelsea sale is something that we've never had with, with big football club sales before is by way before they've got to a stage where they're preferred buyer or, or getting down the line of buying it. We, we sort of, we know who they all are pretty much. I mean, the Broughton bid's a bit different, but we still know that Harris and, and Blitz are, are the main guys behind it. But we know who they all are. So you're able to do a lot of research into these people and go back years on them and go back years on their business associates and the businesses they've been involved with and the shares they have in various businesses. And to be quite honest with you, with any billionaire and with any sort of major fund holder investment firm, if you have long enough, given the amount of money they're handling, you will probably find something on, on all of them. Um, I think most of it's now probably out there, to be quite honest with you. We, we've, we saw that Lord Hain came out in, the, in Parliament in the UK and um, spoke against Stephen Pauyuka's bid. Um, there has been a little bit of controversy surrounding Sir Martin Broughton's bid. Um, someone on Twitter made some accusations about some of his old business ties and, and what he used to do. There's been a story, I think, in the Daily Mail uh, regarding that shares that Todd Bowley holds in a, a company that hasn't pulled out in, of Russia. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously, we have everything to do with the Ricketts. I think probably all avenues have been exhausted on that. I'm, I'm hesitant to say that because whenever I say that, something <laughs> comes up and slaps me in the face. But I think we've probably been through all, all the muck raking, as it were, now. Um, and it's a case of what people feel strongly about or what people feel is important or just what 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 won't what people can't get over and and it has been at this stage the Ricketts problems have been bigger than any other problems for any other group right i mean I, we could dive right into the scrutiny placed on sir martin broughton's bid um this is of course due to the association the Burmese military during his time, uh, British American Tobacco. And, you know, I think, as you said earlier, just some 
lack of transparency around what their bid actually is, how they're going to divest uh, from Palace, you know, all this other stuff. I mean, do, do you see them kind of, you know, while this wasn't a PR battle a, a week ago as much, do you see them falling behind in terms of the PR side of this? Um, I think from an outside perspective, they possibly are falling behind a little bit, but I don't, I think their view inside is that it, it doesn't matter and that the noise around the rickets is for one one reason and one reason only, and they don't need to get involved in that. I, I'm told that Harris and Blitzer are very relaxed about things, that they don't feel any pressure to need to come forward at, at the moment. Um, and I think there's two questions around them. It's obviously, well, how are they going to divest it and do that, which they obviously, I, I assume they have an agreement in place with someone. That's all I can assume. And the, the second question, what what's the motivation there? Because is the motivation to get out of Palace, to get into Chelsea, to try and make more money, which would obviously raise red flags? Or is it just because they feel that, that Chelsea offers them a better opportunity to try and compete at a higher level? But w- what they've done at Palace so far wouldn't necessarily point towards the fact that the guy, these guys are sort of in it to win it, as it were. They haven't put in huge amounts of money to try and move Palace up, albeit Palace are actually doing really well and have been really clever, but I don't think that's been particularly reliant on Josh Harris or David Blitzer. Um, so that that is a big question for me. What What's the motivation? Are they dumping one lot of shares to buy another share because they think they'll become more profitable in time? Or is it from the sporting perspective? Um, but yeah, I think from an outside perspective, they are losing ground just because it's so quiet around them um, and has, has got quieter and quieter around them. I think their argument would be from an inside perspective, it, what's going on on the outside doesn't affect them. So just to you know, it's kind of where you're recording this on Wednesday. Have they had their meetings yet or are they still in the queue to, to have their meeting with the club? Well, the meetings, I know the Ricketts had their meeting Tuesday, I think, but I don't know for sure that Bowley has his meeting Thursday, which leaves Paluca and Broughton either, to, uh, either today and Friday, whichever way round that is. My guess, if I was to completely guess on it, would be that Broughton's probably having his meeting today on on Wednesday. It could be Friday, but I, I think they're either Tuesday, they're either today or Friday. Um, but to be honest, which days they have their meeting, they all have their meetings. Really, it, they're all having their meetings this week. Which days they all have it doesn't matter. And the, the the schedule did actually get moved around for the Ricketts, which will cause the conspiracy theorists to to again scream that the Ricketts are getting the, some favours done for them because they. I think they suddenly wanted to change it so they could get back for the start of the baseball season. Um, so they were due to have it, I think, today and managed to move theirs to, to Tuesday instead. Uh, they're missing out, hopefully, on a uh, wonderful Chelsea victory over Real Madrid in the first leg of the Champions League quarterfinals. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's 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 last touch on the Pagliuca bid. Um <laughs> Of course, you, you've said kind of uh, the bulk here is that there's not a whole lot to report. We haven't really heard a ton. The, the only thing that might have come up this week is that there's rumors of a potential appeal to Bob Iger, who's former CEO of Disney. Um, anything around the financing of their bid? I mean, obviously, uh, Pagliuca has a huge divestment dilemma um, to figure out with Atlanta, um, but 
I would assume needs some funding as well. The only interesting thing I've managed to really find out on the Paluca bid actually is that his um, his uh, buying of the Atlanta Atlanta shares actually doesn't legally go through until mid-April. Um, so, Jeez. wow. <laughs> Ultimate whether, buyer's remorse. <laughs> whether you, whether there is, whether he is riding two horses here and one falls by the wayside and he, he just does one of them, I don't know. It has been announced that he's got the Atalanta shares, but I'm told that legally it doesn't actually all go through the due process until mid-April which does make me wonder whether if the Chelsea thing moves forward, could he just drop out of the Atalanta thing? Is there still room for him to actually not take those shares up at all? This wow. is me speculating because his people won't comment on it. So I have to just speculate on it. Um, they won't talk about investors. It's very clear he's trying to get, he has some sort of consortium together and is trying to still get consortium together. It's a bit weird to find out that he's sort of approaching the Disney guy and the Disney guy may or may not be this it all feels a little bit late on that and from what i could research on the disney guy he's he's not got a huge net worth in this in this process that guy's net worth seems to be in the millions rather than the billions from what i could gather um literally just on a bit of googling yesterday um so there must be other people behind it i've spoken to a bank who i believe is advising his bid but they will not confirm whether they are advising his bid or not advising his bid so I can't do anything public on that and all doors are shut on that. So it's really just very, very odd, very odd bit. I mean, some some people have even suggested, I don't think this is the case. Let me be clear. I do not think this is the case. But some people have even started talking about, is this really a real bid or is this just some sort of phantom bid to help push the price up and keep everybody else on their toes? I don't think that's the case at all. But the, the very fact people are even joking or saying that even with 10% belief that it could be true just shows you how odd this bid is. And I know that the other bidders are just as mystified by this bid as, as the public are. So it's like my second eBay account that I had uh, in case I was not hitting my reserve mi uh, minimum price. <laughs> yes, it's probably something like that. I mean, it's just so it is just so weird. And like I say, I'm, I'm just slightly scared that having completely written it off, um, we'll now find in a week's time I'm talking about Stephen Paluca, new owner of Chelsea Football Club. I, I think a, uh, a final note, because I, I, I think this was an available option to those who did not make the final four, right, is that they could go join a, a yeah. bid that did. Has there been any news around uh, any of the the? 48 other <laughs> bids that didn't make it to the final four, including Catalina Kim, who is the most public of these, uh, of these options that they have potentially joined on with a bid who is in the final four. I've got to be honest. I don't, I don't know about Catalina Kim, um, <laughs> but I do know that um, there has been some joining up. Some people who were in some, some, I say, people or companies or however you want to describe them who were involved in other bids have tagged on to some of the bids in the top four but i'm under the strictest strictest confidence not able to say who what where when or give any clues on i'm afraid but yes yeah, some of the some of the investment behind some of the bids that didn't win has now gone into other bids that are in the final four but it's not it's not, like I say, I don't know about someone like Catalina Kim, and it's not 
individuals like Dan Gilbert and things like it. It's bits and bobs stuff. It's little, it's little boosters and, and people who have expertise in various fields. And it's, it's small fry stuff from what I understand. It's nothing significant. The significant stuff is people like Dan Gilbert getting on board with, with that and, and whether Paluka gets the Disney guy. It's nothing like those. So I wouldn't want to talk it up to be something it's not. But yeah, there's been a little bit of background manoeuvring, none of which I'm allowed to um, either write about or talk about. So it's it's more like minor percentages, if that, uh, that people are kind of potentially getting into. And it's, uh, you know, they're, they're getting toppings off the piece of the pizza, not a, a slice of the pizza, potentially. Yeah, and they're never gonna they're never gonna sort of become people who become public figures or public or companies that have a big public presence. If if the bits were to win, you might even never hear of these people or, or companies being in, involved in the behind the scenes investments. So it's yeah, it's quite hard to explain without giving too much away and and giving myself a problem here. I hope I'm trying to do the best I can. I, th I think the easiest way to do it is to say, I don't know anything about Catalina Kim and it's not anyone like her from, from what I know. And it's only from what I know, there will definitely be stuff going on that I don't have any clue about for sure. Does, does this thing go down to the 11th hour on April 11th? <laughs> well, the, the problem is, as we found with the rain deadlines, and I'm doing inverted commas over deadlines, <laughs> is that they're not strict deadlines. We're not in an auction house where the the hammer goes down and, and that's the end of the auction and the door shut and that's it. The deadlines are there for people to work towards and it, it's become clear from the last deadlines that there is uh, leeway in these deadlines. So, and I think the wording was always on or around April the 11th for improved, improved offers, should people want to make improved offers. So communication will come in from the 11th of April. It could stretch for a couple of days. Similarly, the preferred bidder is on the week beginning April 18th. That doesn't mean it's on the April 18th. So there's a lot of leeway within these dates. And unfortunately, I'm going to be in a situation where on April the 11th and April the 18th, I am sitting up very late in the evening trying to work out whether there's any concrete news. But the reality probably is, is that nothing will actually be decided on those specific dates. It will run into the, the following days after those dates. So uh, no one should hold uh, Matt Law as, uh, in uh, <laughs> to the date. It is Rain holding the cards at the moment with the date. And those are the people that we should, uh, you know, uh, if there is frustration, if there is ire, if there's any negative energy, it's uh, it's more to Rain, not to Matt for doing a wonderful job reporting <laughs> on the situation at hand. The amusing thing about Rain, just to, just to touch on this, and this again just goes into a sort of crazy process this has been and I, I've been quite critical about rain on Twitter and I think we spoke about them last week and I, I don't think an awful lot of the way they, they've run it really albeit if they find the right buy, buyers for the right price they've they've done the right job for Chelsea um, but having told all the bidders to try and keep out of a sort of PR beauty contest I did notice that that rain in in one of the financial newspapers last weekend had a whole puff piece about rain about how great rain are with their the head of rain talking and and all that so it felt another you know a little bit of one rule for rain another rule for all the bidders and uh i i found that quite amusing that that they need to publicize themselves while they're asking all the bidders for Chelsea Football Club not to publicise themselves too much. Uh, all right. Well, with that said, uh, Matt, we know that you'll be away next week with maybe uh, only a drip of uh, 
tweets or news kind of coming out from your camp. So uh, we wish you well, and uh, thank you so much for all the late nights and tracking down all this information so that we can kind of stay up to date as supporters. We appreciate uh, all the investment and uh, wish you well on a little bit of uh, time away, a little bit of holiday. Thanks, guys. I am going to try and have a bit of downtime. Whether that's realistic, we all wait and see. <laughs> all right. Well, no Brandon here. Thank you, Nick, though, for waking up early and getting this one on the road. But uh, Chelsea fans, that's it. Uh, we're going to focus on Real Madrid and beating them and taking a wonderful lead back to the Bernabeu. But uh, until next time, you and you, keep the blue flag flying high.